You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Eduardo Ballerini. Eduardo, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. Eduardo, uh, I, I'm going to talk to you today. Uh, we're largely going to talk about your, your career, of course, and, um, and your reading and audiobook. And in particular, uh, I, I want to discuss the My Struggle series. Uh, but you're, you're, you're an actor, and you're working in a number of, of areas. What's happening right now? We're talking at the end of May in 2022, and, and what are you involved in now in terms of other, other projects? Yeah, so I, I am an actor, and I've been acting for about 20, 25 years, and for, I was primarily a film and TV actor, and then a number of years ago, my career kind of shifted over into audio, uh, and I wasn't sure if I was ever going to go back to screen work but as it happens, uh, I was asked to be in a new series uh, called Retreat uh, for Hulu. It's a limited series. So that's what I'm filming now. And it's, uh, it's very exciting to me because it's the first time in seven years that I've been back on a film set. Uh, so it's, it's sort of like flexing some old muscles, um, which, is, which has been great. I'm really enjoying it. That is exciting. And congratulations for that. Too. Perhaps we can compare process a little bit in, in terms of when you're preparing for uh, an audio reading, a book, uh, with being an actor, I'd imagine, you know, the, the role that you're about to, to do, there's a, a variety of ways to prepare for it, to get involved with the character, to research the character. What happens or how does that compare to preparing for uh, a book, and, and in particular something like the, the My Struggle series by Carl Over Knausgaard? You ask a very interesting question because, as you rightly say, when you're preparing a role for film and television, you're preparing a role, a singular, single role, uh, whereas in the audio world, you are every role. You are the book. You are the author. And so they do become very different processes. The My Struggle series was a bit of an outlier, though, even to that, which I found fascinating because... It was, it is, uh, you know, it's first person and it's very uh, intimate look at this man's life. And it covers, uh, for those who don't know, the My Struggle series is about 3,600 pages long. It's very Proustian in nature. And so I recorded it over uh, the course of several years. We were actually waiting for the translations to come out. And so it became this character that I inhabited. I was sort of being Karlova. Uh, for about five years. And so that process was actually very different from most audiobooks, believe it or not, and felt more theatrical. I felt like I was performing a long monologue. And I got very into these books, um, and I felt this enormous kinship with Karlova. And I, I felt these parallels between his life and mine and his struggles and my struggles. And so it became this very performative thing which is a little different from how I approach most other audiobooks, uh, where you are sort of the bird's eye view uh, and you have to be the world and every character. But in this one, I was really just trying to be him as much as possible. Yeah, that's such an unusual activity, right? This, this, this kind of merging with an author. author. And, and my, my experience of that book was, um, was similar to, to, to yours, which I – I believe has something in common with a lot of readers. We believe Carlover is telling our story. We believe, yes. you know, he's uh, that that not only do we feel what he's feeling, we feel like this is us. The way when you read a 
uh, perhaps a yeah. good poem or piece of writing. You think it almost feels like this was was written for me. Um, however, of course, there's you know it it wasn't exactly right. This is also about craft, is what I've been thinking after this whole book and and listening to you read this whole book. To me, is that the, there's something very peculiar happening in that book where we believe we. Or, or somehow we have this experience that Carl Over's experience is our experience, that, that there yes. are these uh, little humiliations all day long. There are these insecurities we all have. And what I, what I wonder is, and, and especially asking you this as an actor, um, are we really so much like Carl Over, or does it just seem that we are? Because the, really, the, the, the writing is so unusually realistic. I mean, um, yeah. And that perhaps is the wrong term, but it allows us all to get involved, almost like an actor in a character. Um, but is his life like ours? I, I also feel like my life is. I have a, I'm about his age. Or, you know, I have a kid, and, and I, I get all this. This feels like it's me. But at the same time, I almost feel like his craft is, is – there's something so extraordinary going on there that it's, it's almost like I'm, I'm believing something's real that's not quite real. Does, does that make any sense to you in terms of identity? It, it, makes, it makes absolute sense. And I think uh, Karlova's writing style, as you say, has this sort of hyper-realistic quality to it. And I, what I marveled at as I was recording it is that, you know, he'll have these long descriptions of nothing more than a guy sitting there smoking cigarettes, staring out the window, which, you know, if you describe that to somebody, they would say, how boring, right? But there was something about his writing which was so magical that made it fascinating that it drew you in and you felt like you were the guy sitting there staring out the window smoking cigarettes. And it became this very empathetic experience. And I think also because, you know, there was, there was a fair amount of criticism about his books as well. You know, a lot of people didn't like them, which is fair. But for those of us who did, there was this honesty that that he uh, revealed about himself you know he doesn't make himself out to be this perfect guy in fact he's extraordinarily flawed and so i think there were times when you know he's a, a bit older than i am but you know roughly the same gen generation as well and i could sort of feel myself in his youth and feel myself in his college years and feel myself as he was dating and then feel myself as he was starting to find professional success and feel myself as he had children and all of this. And it was just a remarkable experience. And I do think that the, the sweep of it, the 3,600 pages of it, plays a big role in that. Because if you give yourself into it, it becomes this immersive experience. And I ended up, I mean, I really, he got into my head. I ended up sort of dreaming about Karlova. I ended up sort of thinking he was walking around my house, you know, that he was sort of here with me. It became this almost like method actor experience. I sort of became him on and off for five years. Um, and it was extraordinary. I mean, it really was like, for my life and career, it was sort of this landmark moment of performance. And it really changed how I think about audiobooks, and it changed how I think about screen acting, too. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating, the, the relationship of, of method acting, like you're saying, almost. Um, it, it, it's, of course, a little different because you're, you're reading and immersed in it's over years and you wouldn't do that in, in film or TV, right? Unless the series was spread that long. Unless the series, yeah, yeah. 
but but it's but it's also a, an intellectual activity, right? I mean, there's I as as an artist years ago, I I hand copied a book. Um, it was actually the Book of Job. It was a, a kind of an art project oh, wow. I was doing, but the idea of hand copying twenty eight lines a day for over a year was made me think that that monks must have this experience, right? The people who used to hand copy right. books. It's it's and on one way you're doing a you know this this process the service that was before printing but also it was like a piece of research almost like you're saying method acting you yeah. you're you're studying a text you're studying a person you're studying a book and an author is essentially on a very on a very internal level it's different than how anybody reads the the book right there there's something right. else that's happening there that um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost seems like also a type of research. There's, a, there's an unusual kind of identification happening there as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think when you speak things aloud, uh, and that obviously is what the audiobook narrator is doing, uh, it goes to a very different level. I remember in, in college, I went to Wesleyan University, and I had this professor uh, when I wanted to be a writer. He would always say to me, read your things aloud, read your things aloud. And what he meant by that is that you can really get into the work on a much deeper level, and you can also hear a lot of the flaws. Uh, they're much more glaring when you say them aloud. Um, and that has sort of stayed with me, and now that I, I do work in this field, um, there is something very different about saying the words aloud, and especially when it's first person. So there you are saying, you know, I did this, I did this, this happened to me, I felt this way. And so you start to really get into this, this body of work and become that person. I do think it's different when it's third person. You know, he walks down the street, she opened the door kind of thing. But that first person sweep, saying it aloud, and it became this sort of, you know, to use your sort of monk-like uh, analogy, it became this sort of like mantra-like chanting, uh, you know, maybe on the sort of Buddhist side, where you're kind of chanting these words over and over, and so it gets into your brain and body, and you start to feel it on a very different level. Um, and as I say, it was just such an extraordinary experience, and I've never really had anything quite like that uh, in either my on-screen or behind-the-mic uh, careers. That, yeah, that makes me think there was one point in, in book six, and uh, for those that haven't read it, it's a it's the biggest book, um, and there was um, it, it's in first person, except there there's a whole section of about 400 oh, yes. pages where he he really um, breaks a, a certain type of his style uh, and, and talks about Hitler for 400 pages. Yeah. Gives us a, a a kind of biography. Uh, you know, initially for me, I thought. Oh my God! How long is this going to be? And then, and then I felt I was, I was, you know, like, like really. And then, I, then I felt um, that it was, it was kind of a masterstroke. At, at he can, he can just take a diversion, like a novel within a novel, you know, right? Nonfiction within fiction, or something like that, and do this kind of uh, almost, you know, historical research wizardry. Uh, but how did that strike you? Because as, as the person reading, you're, you're now identifying in a different way. You're now moving from a, a style even that's quite different in terms of it being first person as opposed to it sounding more like yeah. a teacher giving a lecture almost. Right. right. Yeah, it was an interesting. I mean, we, I certainly noticed that diversion. And uh, I, so his book is called My Struggle, which is obviously the same title as Mein Kampf, uh, and which is why I think he felt like he needed to kind of work with this idea that he had the same title 
uh, as Hitler's uh, autobiography. Um, so he does, you know, jump off into this three, four hundred page biography of Hitler. It fo- focuses mostly on Hitler's youth, which I thought was interesting. At first, when I when I first read it, I was a little taken aback, uh, and I think a lot of people were. And I had the same reaction you did. I thought, how long is this going to go on? I mean, is this going to be twenty pages, fifty pages? And you're like, oh my god, it's still going, it's still going. And I, you know, at the end of it, I kind of agree with you that it felt like a bit of a master stroke. Um, but during it, I have to confess, I, I was wondering why this was happening. And it wasn't really until the end of it, and he makes this subtle connection, which, and believe me, nobody's trying to, you know, soften the image of Adolf Hitler, but he makes this sort of bizarre connection about Hitler's youth as an artist and uh, Karlova's struggles as an artist, which is is really kind of intriguing. And to me, it said like, this is the, this is sort of like the 0.1% difference in people. Like you can go this way or you can go this way. And, but these two people, I feel like he's making this strange point that they both started as people wanting to be artists. And he made this long 400 page, you know, biography in the middle of this book. And then he, he obviously and rightly condemns Hitler but he, he, he made this incredible sort of connection about how there is this little thing in everybody. And I thought it was kind of extraordinary. I thought so too. Uh, I, I mean, that, that little thing is, um, for me, was this idea that we are, we all have these kind of, we're all shy somehow, right? Even the extroverts, yeah. everybody, it's, it's as though this is the condition of life. However, you know, we seem to be, I'm, I'm, I'm a, radio host, you're, you're an actor, right. but that we all have these, we all have the same elements and that, and that Hitler had those elements too. So it's, it's also seemed to me he was making the very unusual point that it's, it's, it's inaccurate to completely demonize him because he is also us, which is, um, yeah. and then like, like, as we are Carl Ober, but that was, uh, right. Yeah. A, 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 and obviously, a very complex. Yeah. It was very complex, and obviously it's very dangerous territory, which I thought was uh, also why it was so brave of him to do this, especially at the end of his, uh, yeah, this was volume six, as you say, and so you have these, you know, these five books, which were so well received, and then in volume six, he tries this sort of very different thing, uh, which is very bold, very brave. It's, It's almost like a you know, somebody's serving you a meal and every, every course is great and then out comes this dessert with this sort of unexpected, you know, flavors in it. And it was like a last-minute decision where the chef is like, you know what, I'm just going to throw this in and see if it works. Some people had, you know, a lot of difficulty with it for many reasons, uh, in part be- because it sort of interrupted the flow of the books. Uh, and I certainly understood that. And as I say, I, I do confess that while, we, while I was prepping it and while I was recording it, I, I was thinking like, oh, can we move on now? You know, uh, but, you know, you, but you stay with it and you stay with it and then you see, you see the point eventually and then it's kind of worth the whole journey. Right, and, and, and it, 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 I felt that same way, yeah. and then it does seem worth the journey. You understand a bit more of the titles, more of him, and, and of course it has a... Um, 
Yeah, an, an extraordinary ending after that, a heartbreaking ending, really. I, yeah. I, I want to ask you um, a, a little bit also about how you're editing during this, because, of course, the book is translated, it's edited. Yeah. Um, as, as I was reading along, I noticed uh, sometimes there were things that, that weren't read. For example, he's listening to a Beatles song, um, and, and, he's, and the lyrics are printed, but you don't always read the lyrics, right? Or, or, or there was a police song where, you know, he's singing to himself, so lonely, so lonely, lonely, right. lonely, 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 lonely. It goes on right. and on. But difficult to read. Um, that's your decision? Like, how, how does that how does that happen? No, that, that, that is all on the, pu- that's all on the publisher side. Um, and as I'm sure you can understand, you know, we're not allowed to sing the song uh, because there's a copyright issue. Um, and so I, I believe the decision was made on the publisher's side uh, not to read out the lyrics. Uh, I don't recall that specifically, but that often happens when you get a song uh, mentioned in a book. Uh, you don't have the, the rights to, to sing it. Um, and so, uh, so that's, that's the only reason I can imagine that that decision was made. But, you know, I, work with, uh, I worked with an engineer on all of these books, a wonderful guy, and we had a, you know, actually over the years, there's a lot of different people, but the guy ended up doing the last uh, couple of volumes with, um, we had a terrific time doing it, and so I have an engineer working with me, uh, and so he's helping with the whole decision-making and editing process as well. And there was, there's also elements, and that's so interesting, also elements where uh, it almost seems like there's a concrete poem or something. There was one poem, I think it was in the, I forget which book, where he's taking a class at the academy, and it has, mm-hmm. he's, he's saying, I'm just going to use this word, and it's the word C-U-N-T, over and over and yeah. over again for two full pages. Obviously, that's almost impossible to read, right? The, yeah. I, I imagine that's not a copyright issue, but that's also just <laughs> something that it's not quite right. readable, right? Well, well, what do you do? Um, right. I mean, in that case, is it your decision? Are, or, yeah. I, I, uh, I would imagine that it was – I uh, strongly said, let's not read this word for two pages. Um, there are certain things that work in audio and don't work in, in print and certain things that work in print and don't work in audio. One of them is two pages of a word repeated. You look at it on the page and you get it, right? It's another thing to listen to somebody say it for a minute or two minutes straight, right? Um, and so, you know, they're different mediums and so you have to adjust slightly for each one. I, I think you also, you never want to risk, you know, losing your listener uh, by doing something that's just going to turn the listener off to the point where they say, a guy, I'm done with this, right? Is there going to be more of this? You know, uh, so you have to make certain decisions in that vein as well. And, you know, the, the idea of being read too, this is, I, I typically don't listen to a lot of audiobooks, And when this book was suggested to me and specifically a reading, I, I began listening to other audiobooks first to, Mm-hmm. kind of get a get a sense of it and 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 see if I could get involved and I did and um but towards the end though it, it it really struck me after hearing your voice so many times and then you know getting to know you also through the text to some degree as the, as as the actor um you know it reminded me of 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 my mother reading to me or being read to <laughs> this this whole tradition and you know and and you grew up with um the father was a poet and, and more. Mm-hmm. So my question is really about 
being read to. You know, this, this idea seems to me that it's so much different than just, uh, as, as I understood an audio book, you're, you're being read to. And for yeah. me, it brought back all kinds of nostalgic things of my mother reading, for example, The Lord of the Rings to myself and oh, my wow. sister. And, and yeah. so were you read to quite a bit as a, as a child? Is that, is that something you have in your, your mind as a, as a voice I, that you're... I, you know, I don't really remember so much of that, but you're absolutely right that there's an intimacy uh, that happens when a person is reading to you and there is something very you know, basic that brings us all back to our childhood. My father often tells me the story that when I was in the, you know, just a baby in a crib, he would read, uh, you know, the Iliad and Odyssey, the Odyssey and Dante and all these like towering works of literature. So evidently that's what I was hearing when I was a baby. Um, but then I'm sure I, you know, went on to some more like children's books. Um, but there is this something about uh, one voice in, you know, it's this very one-on-one relationship between the reader and the listener, which is unique to entertainment, let's call it. You know, you watch a movie and there's so many moving parts. You watch a TV show, the same thing. You listen to music. Again, there are all these different things. But an audio recording is typically one person and you typically listen to it by yourself it's not something that you do as a group activity so there is this this amazing intimacy that develops between reader and listener which i think is unique and i do think that you're absolutely right that it's there's something very comforting about it um and i think uh i i have this sort of pet theory that as the world gets more complicated and fragmented uh, one of the reasons that audio has found this rise of late is because it's a bit of an antidote to it. There's something very simple uh, and reassuring about it. And it sort of cuts against the grain of most of what's happening in entertainment and news. That's that's such an interesting point, And I so agree with that to, to, to touch on that a, a little bit. This, you know, as the world is, um, is kind of, in this in this you know super saturated state um there's a, in terms of in terms of media yeah there's there's something very unusual happening with with audio and it you know it strikes me that it has something to do also with um with poetry what poetry's interaction with that we're we're talking about prose of course in in much of what you're reading but you're also reading poetry and and the reason I'm putting these two things together what you just said there's a uh, philosopher Franco um, Berardi, and, and he talks about uh, in, in a recent book of his that in, in a world of chaos and, and, and confusion, that that the antidote is um, is poetry, uh, the, the, the cure, so to speak, is poetry. And, and, and he's speaking in in very extreme terms, talking about you know late capitalism and the world really hurtling towards this chaotic state, but seems to somehow feel that that reading poetry. Is uh, will somehow save us, uh, and he doesn't use nearly those kind of terms that I'm using. It's much more academic and much more intellectual, but it, but it's right. an odd and interesting idea. So, so just to tie that into a little bit what you're saying right now, um, and the fact that you grew up with among poets, um, what do you think about that relationship? The 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 kind of value of audio as you're saying now in this world of of competing um medias but also of of, of poetry itself yeah you know poetry 
is, can be very complicated, obviously, uh, but it can also be very simple. And I also think that poetry occupies a very specific space in our cultural life, and that is that it, it is something we turn to for, let's call them sort of important occasions, right, momentous occasions, right? Most people don't read poetry on a daily basis. Uh, however, if there is a big event, uh, a marriage, uh, a death, a rite of passage, uh, a graduation, in these occasions, we seem to turn to poetry, and we often you know, read passages aloud at these events. And I think that's because poetry is, is taken on this role of this kind of exalted place, but at the same time, very, very uh, reachable, very, very approachable. Uh, and so I, you know, had the good fortune of growing up, as you say, among uh, poets. My father is a, a well-known poet, uh, and there were always poets around the house. And, you know, and it's something that's informed my whole life. And it's something that I, you know, I turn to all the time. Uh, I, I, poems that I was, you know, taught in high school and college and just read are always sort of in the back of my mind. Um, and I, I actually do a thing now where I, I, I record one every week and post it, uh, just a poem that I've been thinking about or a poem that sort of speaks to the moment. Um, and so I think poetry, also because there's a musicality to poetry where it often feels like it should be read aloud, uh, that, you know, it ties back into the audio side of things where we want to hear the words aloud. And with poetry, because you know, the rhythms and the sounds are often such a huge part of the meaning of it, um, that, you know, there may be that poetry is enjoying a bit of resurgence, which I think it is, um, in part because it's, you know, this big uh, audio kind of sweep that's happening as well. And so people are finding that, well, we're listening to more things, and, oh, there's this world of poetry, which really is great to listen to because it really pays attention to sound and rhythm. So there, it may all be happening at, you know, together. Yeah, that, 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 that sounds like it is. And, and, and you're talking also about poems that are staying in your head since a child, and that's, that's probably yeah. particular to your upbringing. I read a lot of poetry. They're, they're often not staying in my head. I'm not memorizing <laughs> poems. But as, as, as you were saying, um, which I kind of envy, I didn't have the childhood or, or the schooling that made me memorize poems. Um, yeah. But it sounds like you grew up with that particular practice. You know, it's, it wasn't anything that my father did. It wasn't like he was saying, okay, now, you know, recite me this canto from Dante or anything. For some reason, for whatever reason, I went to school in New York City, and then I went away to a, a boarding school, and then I was at Wesleyan University. And at each of those places, um, poetry, memorizing poetry was always part of the syllabus. It was always part of the, the, uh, the academic uh, rigor. And I, for some reason, remember a bunch of these poems from high school uh, and even middle school. Uh, and then uh, in college, I became a big T.S. Eliot fan. And you were mentioning how you were copying out 28 lines a day. Uh, it reminded me that I used to, I used to type out Eliot's poems uh, with an old Smith Corona beaten up typewriter uh, to sort of feel like I was T.S. Eliot typing them out. Um, and so I would often do that, and I would often sort of jot down a few lines in the corners of, you know, journals and notebooks. And so it's always been with me. I think the way some people have music, right? They have songs that they remember and songs that they turn to, um, which I also have. 
but yeah, over the course of my life, poetry has always been there. It's, it's been a sort of trusted, trusted companion over the years. Is there a poem um, that floats to the surface, just as though we have songs from our childhood that's true, that that remain our kind of anthems or of, of a certain age? Uh, is there one from childhood that's that's been a, with you consistently that, that doesn't seem to go, even if you're, you know, reading new poems, as you're saying, every week and, and posting them on your own? In uh, grade school, we were tasked with writing a poem and bringing it in the next day. And I had sort of misunderstood the assignment, so I copied out a poem um, and brought it in, and it was this poem about rain, which I'm now blanking on, of course. Uh, And I remember presenting it to the teacher, and she looked at it and was like, did you write this? (laughs) I was like, uh, and for a moment I wanted to say, yes, I absolutely wrote this. And then I had to confess that, no, I'd copied it out. Uh, but the other one that I remember from high school, and I don't know why this particular one has stayed with me, is this Edna St. Vincent Millay. Um, my candle burns at both ends. It will not last the night, but ah, my foes and oh, my friends, it gives a lovely light. And for some reason, those four little lines <laughs> have stayed with me. And there, there are other ones, too. There's Frost, there's Dickinson. Uh, they're all sort of jumbled in my head. Um, which is great. I mean, I love them. It's like having old friends with you all the time. I like that. Uh, I want to ask you one more question, uh, Eduardo. It's, it's been wonderful talking with you today. Uh, I, I usually ask people what they're reading at the at the end of these interviews, but that has a different meaning for you. Uh, so is, is there something you're you're reading just for pleasure now? You know, one of the unfortunate aspects of uh, doing all this audiobook recording is that I have not been reading for pleasure because often at the end of the day, the last thing I want to do is read a book because I've been doing it all day in a booth. Um, and so what I end up doing, uh, funnily enough, is I have two children, they're ages 10 and 7, and I often pick up whatever they're reading because uh, they leave it out on the couch or whatever, and I start reading that, which I've actually taken enormous pleasure in because they're these very simple stories and simple books. And so I find myself lying on the couch reading these children's books. Uh, the other day I had the, the little prince was lying around, and I picked up that, and I read it, and it was just so enjoyable. And I think it goes back to what you were saying about this, like you know, our childhood and our youth and this idea of being read to. There's something very comforting in it. Yes, there is. And, and, and thank you, Eduardo, for this interview and also, yeah, for the, for the great work that you're doing because I think, um, yeah, it extends beyond me, this idea of comfort, uh, of course, as you know, and, um, and to your, your um, wide listenership, so to speak. So, uh, Eduardo, I just want to thank you so much for talking with me today and, and your, your, your work, both on TV and the stage and in audio. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.